Hi, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, the love edition. Because <laughs> it's, it's like Valentine's Day soon. Uh-huh. The day, you know, the corporate holiday where... Nope, stop, oh, no. Okay. Wait, when is this coming out? Is this coming out on Valentine's Day? Uh, no, no, the week Valentine's of. is uh, Friday, so this is coming out on, the, on Tuesday, whatever the Tuesday is. Anyway, we are 11. a classical podcast. Well, we're a podcast about classical stuff. Uh, the classical world, classical literature, old stuff. We can say art because we did it twice. We did. Twice. We've done art yeah. now. We haven't done architecture. But we claim it. Although yeah. a faithful listener did send in a suggestion for architecture, and that faithful listener was my father. <laughs> so Mr. Donaldson uh, has emailed us in a suggestion of some architecture, the Hagia Sophia, uh, to do a podcast Ooh, on. Do you ever tell students like, Mr. Donaldson is my father? Um, no, because I love <laughs> being... Call me crush. No, no, I love being called <laughs> Mr. Donaldson. I love it. Um, I, lo- I specifically love being called sir. This is not... I'm not being ironic. It's, um, you do enjoy that? Really? I do okay. I very much. Um, anyway. Why um, would you be called crush? Was that a... What is that... I was quoting Finding Nemo. Bless you. Mr. Tortoise is my father. God bless you. <laughs> Mine's Crush. That's isn't, that, isn't that right? Isn't that, something I, like that. I have no idea. Sure, yeah, it sounds great. Uh, Maybe it's an office reference. I don't know. <laughs> that, anyway. Anyway. Yeah, just wait until you have to watch the same movie 300 times. Th- that's the thing. I'm not it's at that happen. point yet. Yeah. Well, today we are going to learn about... Love. And Thomas, this is a companion to a year ago, <laughs> yeah, right? Sure. Great. Where we talked about funny, ironic love. No, no 100% authentic. Love. No, definitely was 100% serious. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, the only, what, what, I don't, what were our examples? One was about Satan and whoever. Uh, Sin and death? Yeah, that one. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was a fun one. Anyway, not a great episode. So mm-hmm. hopefully we can fix it. A <laughs> so kid's turned in an essay this week on Paradise Lost called Satan, Satan, Why You Be Hatin'. <laughs> Good. Did they get 100 just based on the title? Uh, it made me chuckle, but I haven't read the essay yet. How do you feel about titles like that, pun titles? I encourage them. I do too. I feel like, you know, high school is a time to be a little... Yeah, it, it encourages the, the the better angels of their nature. The 900th Iliad essay oh, yeah, title exactly. I get, it just makes me mm-hmm. want to scratch my eyes out. Mm-hmm. So if the title is at all interesting, I'm happy. Yeah. You're, which is a better score? Is that what that means? No, you're in a better mood while you're reading I, it. I openly mock students who use things like Iliad essay for their title. I just circle it and then I draw a little person sleeping in a bed next to it. With <laughs> zzz, coming out like, that puts good. me to sleep. Disheartening. Uh, that's also one of my favorite parts about senior thesis is that I feel like there's kind of this competition to the titles of wanting to have the funniest one. Mm-hmm. So every... Within reason, because this oh, is sure. a public thing on stage. Oh, uh, yes. But it is a thing that AJ will announce before they get up on stage. Exactly. So usually they'll get some kind of punny title mm-hmm. in there, which is very... We've had to shoot a few down. We have definitely oh, really? had to shoot oh, yeah. a few. No, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they will be locked in the thesis archives forever <laughs> and not published on a podcast. We should do an episode yep. on that. Okay, no. Nope. Okay, so today we are not talking about thesis. Uh, yes, so if... If I know how a calendar works, which is, you know, kind of touch and go. So we'll find out. Uh, This Friday is Valentine's Day. So I thought I would try again at this topic of a classical approach to love. So love, love. Yeah. I thought there'd be more singing at this point. So love. Yeah. I'll let you keep going. I got I got time. The lyrics writing session for that song was short. (laughs) (laughs) They came together really quickly. Uh, that's what I heard that about, uh, the, all I want for Christmas is you song that that came about in 15 minutes, 15 minutes. Isn't that insane? I heard that when Eminem writes songs, uh-huh. sometimes he'll disappear into the bathroom for like 20 minutes and then come out with something fully written. <laughs> Good for him. Well, that guy's a like Milton lyrical. Wizard. I don't think that's how, wait, no. Milton would have a scribe next to his bed and he'd wake up and just start spouting out really? a pentameter and the scribe had to scribble it down. 
that was he human anyway okay so uh, the selections for today we will be spending most of, i didn't hear what you said i wasn't paying attention. just like eminem yeah, neither are human i feel good about that is it like milton was the eminem of the 18 whatevers that right. sounds right a bit of a bad boy when did he write 18 no 1600 we'll yeah. 1600s oh wow I was sorry maybe off. we're sandbagging you no this feels good um you know i love banter so today we're going to be again spending time in um the symposium so we'll be talking about a little bit of plato some arguments that go back and forth on the nature of love tell me what you're giggling that about. book is awesome i love everything about it so the selections themselves come from a book i hate the title and the cover i and, love the title and the cover oh well you're a better human than i am um <laughs> anyway I almost hesitate to anyway the I don't want to okay the name of the book is wing to wing or to or isn't that just no 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 readings what? on courting and marriage that's that little subtitle oh. there yeah I, I like that part but wing to wing or to or is very funny to me um the AJ is looking quizzically as one should there's a wonderful painting of two people it appears getting married is so that what one you, appears to be a friar I, so that's I what I, I, I didn't, no, I didn't want to ask too many wearing, questions he's just wearing a, a cape did he kill a friar and then <laughs> we killed a friar yeah to break into the uh, uh, convent to get hurt that's not how that works anyway. wing to wing or to or how romantic is that good uh, is, that, is that like you're flying and rowing together, together. like but like but if in you're or harmony or, then aren't you in two separate boats no the or, no, no. The, you like have, you're chained in the bottom of the <laughs> stop slave. no wait no stop <laughs> this is going i don't wouldn't like you this. be in two racing like sailing boats now? yeah there you go you if, can have if the oars touch each other have you never been in a boat because you can have two people that are both rowing you have to row yeah, together but then it's, I, we're not rowed or to or, or to like or. behind the, their like, person but also the two wings shouldn't be touching like that would that's not how well, flying then you're works. flying in formation side by the side flames, the one, okay. i'm so confused <laughs> about talk, the metaphor. okay great it's about marriage and courting so don't worry about it this this visual humor is also probably wonderful to podcast listeners. So hope you're having fun with this. Um, this book came across my way through first things. First things is a magazine we've referenced, you know, umpteen times on this podcast. It is a podcast or it's a pod. Well, they do have a podcast, but it is a magazine on, I'd say current events, um, political, social issues, uh, what I said, not from a Christian perspective. What's it's Americans word? foremost, America's foremost religious uh, magazine. Yeah, there you go. It's not just to say it's not always Christian authors who are contributing to it. Really? Uh, yeah. Even in the oh. founding, even the founding of it, I believe, uh, uh had a, um, there was like Christians and, um, Jewish writers coming together oh, to fun. like write on shared, um, kind of like moral visions for cool. America. And they have one on sports called second, second things. things. Yeah. And then I guess everything else is third things. I don't really know. It's like fashion. Yeah. Um, so they, they will periodically offer what they call intellectual retreats, which is a title that I very much love. And they will have a book. That's kind of the, the central piece of that literary of that literary retreat. I, I did not attend this retreat. I just was blown away by the insanity of this title wing to wing or to or. And so went and bought a copy of it. So this is my life. So uh, this book is a collection of, uh, uh, stories of writings from other works. So there is an, uh, there are these um, separate sections on aspects of courting and marrying. And then, so there's kind of like an intro to that section that is written by the authors, uh, Amy and Leon, I think is married? his name. They're married. Yes. Oh, perfect. Uh, senior, um, Amy Cass is a senior lecturer in the humanities collegiate division at the university of Chicago. And Leon Cass is, the Addie Clark uh, Harding professor in the committee on social thought in the college at the university of Chicago. So they're both there cool. as university well. Of Chicago. The university of Chicago. So good for them. So um, that is where this, where these readings will come from. And that will kind of organize our time in these topics. Um, I guess I will, I think I'm going to be spending 
most of my time quoting things from these two different sections, and then we will um, respond and maybe bring in some other stories or some other readings, depending on how this goes, and then see if we can get some more with this. So I guess this is uh, the section that both of these readings from the symposium come from is um, a section titled, Is This Love? Uh, it has an introduction, and from that introduction, um, we explore, uh, in the general introduction to this anthology, we explored the ambiguity and the meaning of love, distinguishing romantic love from two other loves, friendship and love of neighbor. While remember, uh, uh, philia for friendship and agape for love of neighbor is what they, how they define that here. While remembering these other loves, this section concentrates almost entirely on eros, on passionate or romantic love. That's how they're defining that, oh, just to yeah. be clear. <laughs> what a weirdo. That preoccupies the lover with his beloved, the soul searing desire that drives lovers pell-mell into one another's presence. Uh, it is this love, intense, focused, exclusive coupling that is generally regarded as the love which points to marriage and which is itself the germ of marital love, at least in those cultures such as our own in which people wish to marry for love. That's so nice. Is it? Is that yeah. a good introduction to that? So this is... Rem- Seer, I'm all about searing passion. <laughs> good for you. That's... I think that's a good thing. I'm just imagining the being driven pell-mell into each other's presence. Like, uh-huh. You both just sort of run into a room. <laughs> and you're like, oh, ah! you're right. here. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Better get married. <laughs> right away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is part of the uh, what is funny in this whole book is that in thinking about uh, romance and I don't know, uh, in thinking about romantic love, they very clearly center that in pointing to marriage, which I don't think is like a common like if you were to talk about romance mm, now, that's, mm-hmm. I don't think those two are necessarily uh, tied together or coupled together. So that's part of there is there is a moral vision to this book of what romance is supposed to point hey, to. And, Jane Austen and to, knew what was, what was up because all our, you know the books are about getting married, getting married, yeah, and zombies. Did I read the right one? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. We watched that movie for Bad Movie Club. Also, was it was it good? It was very entertaining. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was a good bad movie. I think I would put it in that mm. category. Either of you guys ever read uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter? Um, I have not. I saw the trailer to that movie. Does that count as having watched that movie? No, okay. I mean the book. I, I actually book. read oh. Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, and apparently uh-huh. the guy did a bunch of research, and it's actually, if you take out the vampires, a pretty <laughs> solid biography of Lincoln. So I actually know quite a bit about Lincoln <laughs> the, uh, sans vampires. Yeah, thank you. Well, cool. I mean, you know about it with the vampires, just to be clear. That's true. Yeah. I, and it's usually pretty easy to parse what, is the added vampire content. Mm, I bet it would be tough. Yep. That's yep. Crushing it. Okay. So we are going to be talking mostly about two sections from the symposium. Graham, you have done an episode on Plato. We spent, do you not remember this? I have. No, you did an episode. Maybe it was on Socrates actually. Now that I think about it. Okay. (laughs) Good talk. (laughs) Good talk. Uh, In this episode on Socrates, which I swear to you that you did, and that Uh I went back to listen to you to make sure I was not stepping on your toes. I remember it. Okay. Well, that makes two of us, except the person who presented it. Uh You bring up the symposium. Do you you remember anything about the symposium? Maybe not what you said. Uh, The symposium is a drinking party. (laughs) Thank you. Great. And in that drinking party, there are a number of interlocutors in Socrates, Mm -hmm. and there's a dude named Alcibiades Mm -hmm. who is trying to get Socrates drunk because he wants to hit on him, I think. And in the symposium, while they're drinking, they all posit their own philosophies of the nature of love. Yes. Did did any of them stick out to you from... Um, There was one where, I can't remember if this was Socrates or if this was somebody else that had essentially that... um, Back in the day before, like at the beginning, 
uh, human beings were one soul and then they got like cleft into two and you had the dude part and the lady part. And then when you get married and come back together, the soul is made whole. That was a, a different person. And that's actually the first of our two readings is, is that one. Okay. And then the second one will be the one from Socrates. And then the one from Socrates, I can't remember. Yeah. Which, which makes this even more exciting. AJ, Mainly because the first one was like, it just, I think the way it was described to me in first year philosophy class, it was like, it's like if you had a marshmallow and you cut the marshmallow in half, and then when the two marshmallows came back together and you mush them together, you couldn't tell that it was not one marshmallow. And it just made me think that like about marshmallows getting married. <laughs> the, the, we can make that happen. Thank you. Good. That's going to be a really helpful uh, uh, centering image. Uh, AJ, is there any... Mr. and Mrs. Mallow. No, that's good. I like that. <laughs> the marshes. <sighs> that makes absolutely <laughs> much more sense. Um, do you have any... Uh, have you spent time with the symposium, the section on the definitions of love? Is there any uh, point of reference that you have for it? No. Okay, cool. This will make me feel much better. <laughs> Again, the last time I read through That's the symposium there, yeah, was early college, and I also had no point of reference, for which I'm very thankful that uh, the casses did the work for me to pull this together oh so, their their author picture on the back is like them sort of standing next to each other they're kind of cuddling up oh, in this picture up. right they're getting uh getting a little getting a little close to each there other so anyway happy valentine's day y'all okay so i will i guess i'm going to start in the symposium this is from aristophanes uh aristophanes's speech on eros i guess maybe as a helpful oh aristophanes is yes there? that's the yeah so aristophanes oh. is the one who gives this first story which will go into what it says do we know anything about aristophanes not a fan of socrates not a fan of socrates wrote a play called clouds where mm-hmm. socrates comes in as a character as mm-hmm. a as a crazy dude mm-hmm. and so so also i mean sorry um he was a real per- aristophanes yeah. was a real person mm-hmm. and a real playwright yep. and did not like socrates correct and wrote plays where Socrates was a doofus. Yes. And now he's showing up in Plato's symposium. Uh, and, and maybe this is helpful. Based on what you just said, will Plato portray him well or poorly? I, th- I can't remember. I think he portrays him. Oh, this is fun. Well, okay. or does he well, portray him poorly? Maybe he portrays him poorly. I can't remember. So Aristophanes was a Greek playwright. Uh, he wrote comedies. Uh, Graham is referencing The Clouds, which is the play that is specifically mocking Socrates in this play. Uh, Socrates, I believe, I believe the character is in fact named Socrates, but Mm -hmm. he he essentially corrupts um, these two. It's a father who wants to gain knowledge. He teaches him on like things that don't matter. We've talked about this on the podcast before, but it's like, you know, how high does a flea jump is a question they spend a lot of time, like really diving into. And they have this whole section on like, you know, we're going to melt some wax to put fleas in it to determine how, how tall they're jumping. And it's supposed to be absurd is the point of the, of that example. Wait, but how, yeah, thank you. Oh, yeah. We're gonna, our next episode will be on that. Don't worry. Um, so uh, the clouds is again one of his one of his most famous. Uh, Lysistrata also is one of his most famous about um, the wives of men in a city trying to prevent their husbands from going to war, uh, and then and um, the frogs also. Um, um, yeah, so a number of he was a, a a comic playwright is the main important thing to say. Google says eighteen centimeters. Seven inches. Yeah. I, Vertically. <laughs> I'm glad that both they of you... can also fly. Now, to be clear, neither of you all were like <laughs> talking... Like, I think independently, you both looked it up. I appreciate that yours was in centimeters That's yeah. very, and yours in, in, in inches. So, wonderful. Mine was in like what the rest of the world understands and yours mm. was in your like weird... American in the right way. Yeah, exactly. That's what I heard you like say. measure things on like, I don't know, like household objects. Cool. Like feet and yeah. yards. What's wrong and with that? what else you got? 
stones. Uh-huh. Yeah, like tor- yeah. forearms. Yeah, Nor- yeah forearms. <laughs> yeah, normal points of reference for lengths and sizes. Right. Anyway. Cool. So this is from Aristophanes' speech on Eros. So there have been a few other people who have spoken at this point, but I am skipping over them because I am in the driver's seat right now. So for uh, this is, uh, again, starting to quote from Plato, but this is Aristophanes speaking in the story. For Eros is the most philanthropic of gods, a helper of human beings, as well as a physician dealing with an illness, the healing of which would result in the greatest happiness for the human race. Hmm. Wow. So as our starting place for how do we get to what romantic love is, um, this this force described as, as that romantic love is the most philanthropic of gods, a helper of human beings, as well as a physician dealing with an illness, the healing of which would result in the greatest happiness for the human race. So I shall try to initiate you into his power and you will be the teachers of everyone else. This is how he starts. This is toward the beginning of his description naturally. So this is what Graham was saying. Um, You must first understand human nature and its afflictions. Our nature in the past was not the same as now, but of a different sort. First of all, the races of human beings were three, not two as now, male and female. For there was also a third race that shared in both, a race whose name uh, still remains, um, though it itself has vanished. For at that time, one race, uh, I can swear it is the, um, yeah, uh, secondly, the looks of each human beings were as a whole round with backs and sides in a circle. So this is why they're marshmallows. Yeah, naturally, which is not too far off. And each had four arms and legs equal in number to his arms. So four, thank you, Plato. And two faces alike in all respects on a cylindrical neck. But there was one head for both faces. They were set in opposite directions and four ears and all the rest that one might conjecture. So two sets of everything. Each used to walk upright too, just as one does now in whatever direction he wanted. And whenever he had the impulse to run fast, Uh, Then just as tumblers with their legs straight out actually move around as they tumble in a circle, so did they with their eight limbs as supports quickly move moving in a circle. So they just sort of like rolled around? Yeah. Does he have any like fossil records to back this up or anything? (laughs) (laughs) Any Uh, tracks where it's like foot, 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 hand, 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 foot, foot, foot. It's like brain explosion. Yeah. (laughs) New body types. (laughs) (laughs) Of the marshmallow people. Isn't this? Anyway. Uh, So uh, they themselves were globular. How do you like that as a description of a person? (laughs) So I thought that was very funny. Are we still talking about love? We still have arrows with these globular, <laughs> globular people. Yeah. Love is globular. Is that not your takeaway from this? Okay. So um, they are... I think the Beatles wrote that song, actually. Love is globular? You want to sing a couple of lines for me? Cool. So um, they... So they're like happy and content, which apparently is a problem. Zeus and the other gods deliberated as to what they should do with them, these marshmallow people. Uh, and they, the gods, were long perplexed, for the gods uh, knew neither how they could kill them and obliterate the, the human race. For in that case, their own honors and sacrifices from human beings would vanish, nor how they could allow them to continue to behave licentiously. Then Zeus thought hard and said, in my own opinion, I have a device where human beings would continue to exist and at the same time, having become weaker, would stop their licentiousness. I shall now cut each of them in two. So. Yikes. Yeah, yikes. I feel like is the right reaction to this, doesn't that? So they're like, if we kill them all, they won't give us any more stuff. Yeah. But we also don't like licentiousness, because if that's what they're trying to get rid of, that's a hard miss. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> By splitting them into two, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because if, clearly that didn't work out so well. the goal was to make them less <laughs> licentious, that was a, yeah. mm-hmm. a swing um, and a miss. Yep. Yeah. It's, uh, a, a, a relevant part I skipped over. Now they were, uh, they, the globular people, were awesome in their strength and robustness, and they had great and proud thoughts. So they made an attempt on the gods. So they were trying to like uh, get the gods out of their out of power. They're trying to take over. 
They attempted to make an ascent into the sky with a view to assaulting the gods. And that's when Zeus says, nah, I'm good. Well, they were great climbers with all the plumes. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. they're somehow able to move in the same direction, but I guess that's through rolling yeah. around like a marshmallow. Okay, so this, so Zeus says, hey, let's like split them up. And so as soon as he said this, he began to cut human beings in two, just like uh, uh, those who cut apples in preparation for pickling or those who cut eggs with hair. Mm, gross. Um, and whenever he cut uh, some, pause. whoa, <laughs> oh, you want, we don't want to skip over this. Sorry. Cut eggs with hair. I'm just reading the, the lines to you, man. Let's uh, you wanna, unpack that one. What's going on <laughs> that, there? That's the part that we're going to really stick cut, with. I think it's got to be like hard boiled eggs, right? And with a hard boiled egg, you need to cut it with hair. And with if a, you use a hair, like a horse hair. It like just says a, with yeah, hairs. Human, you just pull it through. As long wow. as it's long enough. I feel like it's, it should be a horse hair, though. I mean, you could. Yeah. It's got to work. I know that when you use, when you're working with clay, you you cut it not with a big knife, but with a, a piece of wire. Hmm. You drag it through. Listeners, <laughs> if any of you have experienced... Again, of all the things that have been presented to you all so far, eggs. it's the hair that is... Okay, okay, fine. If any of you have any fossil records of globular people, <laughs> we can please start send there those too. in too. And if you plan on trying out this whole hair thing, uh-huh. send us a gift. Please yeah. don't. <laughs> please, for the love of all that's good, or don't. Or a picture. I would nope, love to see this in action. I have no interest in that. Cool. Okay, so they all get cut up. Uh, Apollo uh, comes in like... So the, um, the people get cut in half, but they have to get like tied up like a bag. And so Apollo comes around and does that. So that's weird. That's a detail that apparently was important to include so people get all shaped up and they don't look like they're cut and so then they are like set to go hmm. how do you do you all think this will work out do you all think this will be good well then falling in love is like coming back together and becoming one one globular whole when it when its nature was cut in two each desiring its own half came together and throwing their arms around one another and entangling themselves with one another in their desire to grow together they began to die off due to hunger and the rest of their inactivity because they were unwilling to do anything apart from being with one another. And whenever one of the halves did die and the other was left, the one that was left tried to seek out another and entangle itself with that. Uh, but it, uh, I can, uh, and we, so we've all been there, but, the, right? yeah, like, but they die, they die, the other half dies off is what yeah. the point is. But it's just when you're, you know, so in love, uh-huh. and just neglect food and, this uh there's a futurama episode about this about people dying from being in love yeah well they they invent lucy lou robots Mm -hmm. and so all the men have lucy lou and so they aren't motivated to do anything because they don't need to get girlfriends anymore so they stopped (laughs) working and they stopped doing useful things and so lucy lou bots were outlawed fair enough so uh, i guess that's kind of anyway what is happening here is that they are complete with each other is is mm-hmm. kind of how it works um this this might not be clear just from hearing me jump around in the story and tell it poorly but th- there's no procreation in this world so far and so the change that zeus makes is that the coming together of man and woman uh now will create children that are then used to continue the human race and that's his answer to the problem appreciate it that <laughs> right that mm-hmm. there get to be more of us right so that the problem was that there was no um fruit there's no fruit of that relationship Mm -hmm. and so because of that they were complete in themselves and so now um they have someone else to focus on and someone else to Ah, to care for so zeus created children to drive a wedge in between (laughs) Between because the lovers were just perfectly you know happy by themselves and then you know children came along this is (laughs) this is taking a weird turn okay this is fun um asher when you're like 30 anyway <laughs> you're a wonderful child i just want to be very clear um so it is really uh so it is really from such early times that human beings have had and born in themselves arrows for one another arrows the bringer together of their ancient nature who tries to make one out of two and to heal their human nature 
So it is really from such early times that human beings have had inborn in themselves arrows for one another arrows, the bringer together of their ancient nature who tries to make out uh, to make one out of two and to heal their human nature. Uh, each of us then is a token of a human being because we are sliced um, in two. And so each of us always is in search of his own token. Okay. So wacky mythology aside, okay. there's something to it by saying falling in love and um, being joined with somebody else is somehow creating a greater whole than, in, than, than being by yourself. Yes. Even though, the, so I mean, like it's not, it's sort of a, yeah silly story but uh there's something to it tell say more about what is to the story like what is good about this story what does what does aristophanes's story get right Maybe that to start there, there is that um that there is something right and good and i don't know if natural is the word amplifying of a relate of of binding yourself to somebody else yeah i guess that's good what is the main, what is Aristophanes' main focus though? What is the purpose of romance in his conception here? Wasn't it like the the healing of a healing of a of a illness yeah. or something? He so said that's at the, beginning? the the quote at the very beginning. Uh, that one I take a little more issue with. Oh, a helper of human beings as well as a physician dealing with an illness, the healing of which would result in the greatest happiness for the human race. Yeah, I mean, I've always sort of taken issue with the idea that you need to find some other person to. I know this is kind of just going against what I just said, but taking issue with you are only happy and whole if you have a beloved mm-hmm. because right, or, the, other, or another person can fix you or another person uh, finishes you or completes you. Yeah. That's the whole image that he's using yeah. that you, yeah. would, it's not even, uh, there's almost something like predetermined to it that you were cut off, you were cut off from mm-hmm. someone mm-hmm. for whom mm-hmm. you were specifically knit together or made. And now you are looking for that person. And once brought back together, it's bliss and happiness and life is good. St. Paul would differ. Is this where we get the idea for soulmates? I, I feel like this is the originating story. I don't know about that, but it definitely... It wouldn't surprise me if... if like yeah. there's there's one, one person, person out there for you and that if you don't find them, you're totally hosed. I think this is where that originates. That I'm sense. just going to go ahead and say that this is uh, confidently. And say so what? Oh, say, say that it is starts. the start of soulmates. We are the experts. Yeah, yeah. we are. <laughs> we have a podcast. Yeah, we, <laughs> we have microphones. Say it with confidence and they'll believe it. Uh-huh. That's is that, rule number one of teaching. I feel like by saying that we're saying it confidently, we've undermined ourselves mm, on this one. Fair point. I'll, I guess I'll move past that. Okay, so so you all are taking some issue with that conception that there is. So the one person, the soulmate, I guess you've commented and said this is the start of soulmates, but is that a bad, is that a bad conception? Is that a bad idea? I think so. Yeah. Tell me why. I think that it's the same danger that runs into the sometimes the Christ, Christian doctrine of predestination, and that's that you believe there is one path for your life, and if somehow you miss an opportunity or you get off that path, everything is totally hosed, mm-hmm. right? So when you pray to say, no, God's will for your life, there's if you understand it in a certain way, then maybe you make a mistake and you don't take an opportunity and well, well you're off the path and mm. you can never get on it again. For example, if you had a girl that you liked in college and then it didn't work out because you didn't communicate well or something, right? then she got away and you can never, ever find your soulmate again because you screwed it up. Right. I, that's, sure. And then you have this bleak view of life that you never have another shot. And I think that's silly. Yeah. I think it's really damaging. I think that's fair. 
I agree. I mean, the real the real satisfying work of love is not in finding somebody that makes you happy, but in actually putting in the work to to have it uh, be fruitful, to have it be meaningful. Um, I'm a strong component proponent of of the choosing to love somebody through your actions and through your disposition than the sentimentality of of hoping that somebody comes in that kind of meets these needs. Yeah. Um, cause I, I think that ultimately gives you license to dis- dispose of people if you are, needs aren't being met. And I don't think that's a good thing. Yeah. No, well, I don't think that's a Christian thing either. I think oh, well, the, I, yeah. I was, the moment you guys aren't filling my needs <laughs> when out. you're done with this. I'm done. Yeah. You would have <laughs> dropped this after, I think I joined in podcast number 10. So that's probably when you would have left anyway. That's, <laughs> I think I ruined the whole thing. Okay. So, um, you all get, you all are getting at great things here. Okay. So there's kind of this determinism to it, which is perhaps unhelpful that Aristophanes, it, Plato through Aristophanes, is putting un, is putting a huge amount of weight on just the natural fit between two people. That you were, in fact, made for each other to begin with. You were looking for that person all during life. And there's kind of this anxiety, AJ, that you're getting at, both to find that person, but also to ensure that they are the right person. Mm-hmm. Maybe then to tie in what Graham is saying, if you have any problems with that person, then it causes you to question whether you were in fact made for that person, right? Like what does the problem mean? Is yeah. it something to work through or a sign that there's like a huge problem? So I think uh, these are, I think helpful problems uh, to point out in it. Um, maybe the, the other part that we kind of, it was briefly brought up and then moved on. Aristophanes has a, a pretty low view of children in that regard. Also that, <laughs> That, you know, you know, uh, uh, husbands and wives were perfectly content and happy until I guess they starved. But other than that, but they were happy until they died. And then children are there to kind of give them something else to focus on. It's to put that wedge between the two. Yeah, it's to, you know, divert their focus. Yes. It's to dilute their love. Yes. (laughs) It's kind of a bummer. Um, So that will. And you guys are saying this isn't right. Like a prism scattering your love about. Uh, is what children do. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's, yeah, sure. That because it was too intense to focus purely on one person. So mm-hmm. it had to be spread out and shared, which is kind of a bummer though. It does keep them alive. So maybe that's a positive statement he's making. Okay. So this is all on Aristophanes. I guess I would also say that it's, a, um, this probably isn't the right phrasing for it. So tell me how, what words you would use. It's like a very high view of romantic love. It's like, romantic romantic love is the great physician it's the great healer it's the thing the that one will, mission of your life yeah is to find that one person and so it is it's put into this like um it's a very high category this very um important category which not to say it's not important but i think aristophanes would probably put it as the most important just yeah, the he way says so right? yeah the god eros was the most something god or he had the adjective most generous was that he yeah the most philanthropic of philanthropic gods, the most right. philanthropic so mm-hmm. even more than I don't know. Wouldn't you think Zeus would? Anyway, whatever. But yeah, most philanthropic of the gods. Zeus was cutting us all in half. I don't think he was philanthropic. (laughs) He had Apollo do it. Dude had a giant sword. uh, I'm not buying it. Yeah. Uh, We at at Veritas recently had the ninth grade history classes. Mm. Each section of the class became a different city. Uh, Ancient Greek city. Ancient Greek city. Yes. And so 
and then some of the teachers got to be uh, Greek gods for that. Uh, AJ, I think you were Aries. I'm Aries. Yeah. Some kid. I'm looking at it. Some kid made Aries slash AJ a big giant spear. Yeah, like a legit spear. It's awesome. It's huge. And you have it a catapult over it. a wooden catapult over there. They've been giving me tribute like crazy, and I felt guilty after like the second gift because <laughs> yeah. I, I asked for tribute, and then I got a spear and a catapult and free food there and was all kinds of stuff. A whole cake one day. A whole cake one, and so I, I feel I'm feeling guilty with the kids spending money on me. So I I requested something else, and the tribute continues to roll in. That's awesome. You Why got are you a, complaining you got about dispense that? favor, Aries? Yeah, seriously, I have. Yeah, I, oh, okay. I made. Um, you picked champions for your spike ball. Yeah. So I they, made one they had team a team play with left hand, and then I made the next team play with only one shoe. So the for the the teachers who are Greek gods in this get to bless or curse people who make them you know please them or displease them. Anyway, so oh, I I didn't participate mainly because I didn't read the email in time. Oh well, but I would have been. Um, who's the god that drinks in the woods? Bacchus. Yeah, I would have been Bacchus. <laughs> That's great, awesome. Uh, I got to be uh, Apollo, so that was anyway. It was a very fun time. Uh, one of the three city states uh, made me mad. So anyway, I, <laughs> yeah, I tr- uh, yeah. Anyway, it was a fun time. Okay, but they wrote me poems. It's, I mean, they will remember the Greek gods for the rest of their life. <laughs> after exactly this right. Week. So, um, yeah, Josh Graham, if you listen, you did a great job for that. Good so, job, good job, math history teacher. History. Okay, so that is one conception of of romantic love presented in the symposium. Now, Graham said this, the symposium is this drinking game back and forth. The conversation essentially continues. So Aristophanes puts forward, this is his view, but that's not to say that it is the view. Uh, so others will be presented. The I believe it's the last of this section on arrows is Socrates' uh, speech, is Socrates talking. Does, any, does anyone want to take a guess? I can't remember, but I remember it being like a major bummer. Oh, really? Well, that's so okay, interesting. Let me put it this way. Okay. Not romantic. Yes, that's probably the right <laughs> way to put it. So, um, the this section it Socrates or again, Plato's portrayal of Socrates is just so funny in that he is not wanting to claim this knowledge for himself. So, he's trying to be very humble with this as he's like blowing people's mind with this mm-hmm. um, perspective of love that's totally different from all the ones that come before come before. So, he will reference um uh uh, someone that he learned these things from. And so, and I'm sure I will butcher pronunciations as I always do. Diotima of uh, Mantinea. Oh, that's right. Diotima. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Diotima is the one is um, the, I think she's a, um, either a priestess or like a, a, a prophetess that taught Socrates on these topics on love, on romantic love. Whoa. So what <laughs> it's weird. They give her a weird title that I'm sure we'll come across. I'll say it at some point and you all will get awkward and we'll go from there. But anyway, it's a very funny section, but he will attribute to her all the wisdom in this section. He, he shows up to ask her questions and unlike many of the other conversation partners he has, like she has wisdom on something. Mm. Does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. he, he pushes in questions and she has good answers the entire oh, time. There you go. Yeah. I've, which never happens. Which never yeah. happens, yeah. right? Um, so I take that elective. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, to ask the, lo- the love elective. Oh, is that? The, yeah, that would be anyway weird. Okay, so <laughs> first days. Let me tell you about marshmallows. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah, seriously. Yeah, it seems like the right place to start. Okay, so this maybe Graham starts getting at what you're um, asking. So Socrates begins in this part. And we'll go back and forth between him and Diotima. Uh, how do you mean it, Diotima? Is Eros after all ugly and bad? And she said, hush, or do you believe that whatever is not beautiful must necessarily be ugly? Absolutely. Uh, 
And whatever is not wise without understanding? Or were you unaware that there is something in between wisdom and lack of understanding? Socrates says, what is this? Diotima says, don't you know, she said, that to opine correctly without being able to give an account is neither to know expertly nor lack of understanding. I, I'll actually skip over this because this is like in the weeds. She will eventually say that uh, Eros is like part, halfway between beautiful and ugly. So, yeah. So, so whereas Aristophanes might have just said perfectly, Eros is beautiful or Eros is necessarily good. Uh, the, the section opens with he's in the middle. Uh, the God is in the middle between the two of these. Um, let's see. Um, and Eros is in some ways between a God and a mortal. So uh, in fact says just as before Eros is between mortal and immortal. So we, we already, we start this section with, like a lower view of the role of Mm -hmm. romantic love. Um, uh, He's called a great demon, but I don't believe that's meant in the negative sense. That's more of a technical term for somebody that's less than God, but greater than man. A a daemon, like a demiurge also is sometimes maybe how it's translated. For demon. So not, it's not like a... It's not like... A Milton demon. Yeah, yeah, sure. Thank you. That (laughs) noise was wonderful. Thank you. That was exquisite. Thank you for doing that. Like a metal album. Yeah. What is happening right now? Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't, I'm just we, giggling over here in the corner. You yeah, guys are I like that. No, can we do a metal album together? I think this would be good. Yes, good. Uh, this section continues. I'm going to try. I'm going to be skipping over a lot of the argument here because it's the very end that gets the most interesting. But I don't want to totally skip over. So I don't know. Just follow along for the ride. Um, this is Diotima speaking. Uh, for wisdom is one of the most beautiful things, and eros is love in regard to the beautiful. Eros is love in regard to the beautiful. And so Eros is necessarily a philosopher. And as yeah, a, there, that's, that's the bummer. Oh, oh you think so? That's the like, um, <laughs> it's like the philosopher is the head of the city. The philosopher is the best lover. The philosopher, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, but this is, that's, this is funny. Cause I think the it's flipped in this. It's not philosophers are romantic love. It's romantic love is a, like the, that force itself is a philosopher. Uh, okay. I, I don't think it gets to a bummer point. I will be curious if you all agree with where mm-hmm. Socrates gets to, because you know, you, there's no reason you should. So I'll just, from the beginning of this line for, this is kind of her diatomas, uh, a conclusion on kind of where does arrows fit between good, bad, ugly, beautiful, uh, wise, unknowing, where does arrows fit for wisdom is one of the most beautiful things. And arrows is love in regard to the beautiful. And so Eros is necessarily a philosopher. And as a philosopher, he is between being wise and being without understanding. There's something for you. As a philosopher, Eros is between being wise and being without understanding. Um, He's a sophomore. (laughs) He's a wise fool. That's right. (laughs) Is that when they, anyway, because the freshmen don't date very much, but then it starts sophomore year. No, the freshmen always date. Good. Um, uh, his manner of birth is responsible for this for he is of a wise and resourceful father and an unwise and relentless mother. Uh, I skipped over that section, but, um, he's a servant of Aphrodite. Oh yeah. Um, father is Zeus and okay. so anyway, that's his wise father. So it's that in arrows fits in the in between there of, of those two. So it's both knowing and not knowing. I think this is closer to the experience of love. Mm -hmm. It's the certainty of the object of your love, but kind of a mystery of where that love comes about. It's the foolishness that, um, uh, uh, determines how one acts like in, uh, in relation to the, to the person that one loves. Oh, I thought you were going to get a little confessional. 
Uh, I can't. I don't know. I can share embarrassing stories. Is that what we're here for right now? I figure at 40 minutes in, people who aren't going to listen have already deleted, so we can get as awkward as um, we no, want. No, that doesn't make sense. The, yeah. the the fool and then also the the assurance. The I thought he was getting at that because wisdom is inherently something worth loving, mm-hmm. Eros, who is a lover, would love wisdom and therefore is a philosopher. That's what it seems like to me. And I'm, I'm wondering if does Datama, this person, it's Datama, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. getting it right. Do they explain more? what the wisdom is and what the unwisdom is? Have we yes, kind of. Okay. Yeah. Or rather the process of determining what that was. I will say again, it's the love of the beautiful. So maybe. So may- it can be unwise if it is picked an unworthy object. Uh, maybe this is interesting because so when we talk about like the ideals, like classical ideals, we talk about good, true, beautiful. I, when I hear wisdom, I'm thinking truth. Maybe you all aren't thinking that. Do you all, like it, uh, um, the way that Eros is going about this is to know what is beautiful. That is a true romantic love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that, would you still call that wisdom? <coughs> I mean, if you, yeah, okay. uh, especially in the classical world with the unity of true good and of beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So I will say that again, Diotima will focus on beauty specifically here, but that's, that's just something to think about. Um, it's almost like a rejection of kind of a rational side of things mm-hmm. is I think what is what they're getting at with what Eros does. Um, but again, this, these are things that we can push back on. Um, is it okay? This is more about um, again, how love operates. What about those beautiful things of which Eros is? Uh, it is more clearly expressed as follows. He who loves the beautiful things loves. What is it that he loves? Uh, Socrates says that, that they be his, that the thing that the object of love be his, it's this, um, they want to possess the thing that is loved. Um, I, whatever I feel like Thomas Aquinas is quoted in here. That is a thing that he will use as his like circle of love. Like anyway, love has an object that the the circle of love, uh, it's like the circle of life. Uh, and it rules us all that there are, um, three, that there are stages to love that love both has an object outside of oneself, Mm -hmm. that there is a desire for that object. Mm -hmm. And then that, that desire leads to then movement toward that object. No, that the, the goal of love is the union with that thing. Okay. And I don't, that doesn't have to be a person that, you know, if I love books, then it's like buying books is the culmination of that love. Mm -hmm. So that's the, the circle that he draws. Anyway, he pulls it from here. That is why I like that. Okay, I'm going to get to the end of this. So. So then how does that work with a person? Yeah. If, if we're talking about love is, is like Eros, the god, is a fool and wise because it, he's loving wisdom as a philosopher. How does that, then how does that, rep, how do you see that in yes. the marriage of a dude and a lady? This is good. Okay, so um, the way that, Socrates will describe like what is happening and why that love is important. Will I think this is the right part to start in. So, um, um, yes. Okay. So, uh, and first of all, if the guide is guiding correctly, he must f- love one body and there generate beautiful speeches, beautiful speeches. Then he must realize that the beauty that is to stick with me. He must realize that the beauty that is in any body whatsoever is related to that in another body. Mm-hmm. And if you must pursue the beauty of looks, it is great folly not to believe that the beauty of all bodies is one and the same. It's great folly not to believe that the beauty of all bodies is one and the same. 
And with this realization, he must be the lover of all beautiful bodies and in contempt slacken this intensity for only one body in the belief that it is petty. After this, he must believe that the beauty in souls is more honorable than that in the body. So that even if someone who is decent in his soul has only slight youthful charm, the lover must be content with it and love and cherish him uh, and engender and seek such speeches as will make him uh, as make this person better. So what's happening right here? So the, the progression that kind of leads to this ideal of romantic love goes like this. You find one person who you like. And I, th- and I think even here it's most focused on physical attraction. They, they talk about youth. Like it, it is the, the physical body. Yeah. Physical, the physical beauty of a person is the first point of entry into what that romantic love is. You start with one person, but then by loving and appreciating one person, you see the beauty that is in all people, not just in this one, but there is a beauty that is instantiated in one person, but common to many. So you, because you love the beauty in one body, you must be a lover of the beauty in all bodies. Of all bodies. Yeah, but you can't put that in Valentine's Day card. Like, <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. I love you because I'm a lover of all bodies. This is, yeah, this is good. Of all beautiful bodies. Yeah. Doesn't really, that, that doesn't really feels like, a little icky. Yeah, doesn't really you think inspire... So? You know, and then you must realize eventually that souls are better and then love that is. So are we, uh-huh. are we still talking about Diotima's view here? Yes. This is Diotima okay. who is speaking. I, can we, I, I'm still sort of confused yeah. about this whole thing. Can you put Diotima's view in like one sentence for me? We're doing so that right now. Sort of, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, um, that by loving one person, by knowing and loving that one person, you are sort of moving into a love of all that is good. Yes. And it's supposed to lead you up to the love of good. Yes. So again, uh, Socratic dialogue is not, you know, presenting you the initial view right off the bat. Diotima is, Socrates sharing this discussion with Diotima is reacting to the, the talks that come before that. So what, what stage have we set? It is a lower view of love than Aristophanes held. And in fact, many of the other speakers held. This is Diotima going into actually an understanding of what to say that Eros is a philosopher seeking uh, seeking beauty, what does that actually look like? That's where we are right now. So the way that one finds and understands that beauty goes like what Graham was just saying, that a person has a specific person that they love. They love a particular person. That particular love is then expanded out to be a, an appreciation of uh, beauty that is expressed in multiple bodies, that multiple people have some sort of beautiful thing that is appreciated across people. But that physical love is a lower love than the love of souls, the love of um, like the immaterial part of a person. Um, This is then kind of, you'll see this sometimes called the ladder of love, which is kind of the main takeaway from this section. But those are loves that build on one another, that you need those earlier loves to eventually get to the higher up loves. Um, The love of souls will lead to a love of virtue, a love of like um, not just the soul, not a specific soul, but like the best way that a soul can be. The seeking after that will be the love for knowledge. And then there's a love for love at that point that it is the ladder progresses. up. And you can, you can see how this eventually was probably assumed or subsumed or whatever the verb is into the Christian understanding of marriage being something that sanctifies you. Yes. Um, that because makes you more like Christ is sort of one is, is one of the three reasons why Christians get married traditionally. Uh, and so the sanctification is bringing you up this, this, that the, the life and love with an individual is sanctifying you to be more like God. Uh, I'm still confused as to how this is between wisdom and unwisdom. Seems like only wisdom to me. Can you explain the unwisdom half? Mm, probably not. 
Okay. Um, so again, the point of it is that you are getting to some higher good through. Is it because Eros then is um, like he's preoccupied with doing it just in the individuals? I think I think maybe it's because earlier <clears throat> we hear she says to opine about a thing and not have full and not being able to support it is between wisdom and unwisdom. So to love someone and not be able to say why must yeah, yeah. be between yeah. wisdom and unwisdom. And so perhaps that is where Eros is between is because mm. he love you know like to to make this tangible. It's just a feeling, say man. we've got Craig and Carla, right? Oh. Craig loves Carla. Partially because she's cute. He, he can't really nail it down. So it's it's a little bit of foolishness and he's willing to do anything for her. And then later he realizes that the love for her must be a love for all beautiful things. And then a love of her soul is a love of what's inherently beautiful in souls. And then a, a love of beauty and soul itself. Right. So later it will become a love of the higher things, but it starts as not fully knowing or being able to support its opinion about the object. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. I'll, I think th- that this is the same quote from before. Right. And so Eros is necessarily a philosopher. And as a philosopher, he is between being wise and being without understanding. What does that mean? That philosophers are growing in wisdom. Is that it's between in the sense it's the not, work of reason is a work from unwisdom to wisdom. To so wisdom. by necessity, you must be between which is traveling up this ladder. So it's traveling up from individual people to a love of love itself, to a love of good itself, to a love of souls. This is a little like, you know, Eastern mysticism kind of thing, right? Oh, like in, in really? the, it, that we're squarely you, in like Western. I know, but you sort of eventually are going to abandon the particulars for the universal, Yes, which is why I, I remember yeah. it being a bummer. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, in, because because Craig's love for Carla will, by necessity, lead him away from Carla? Yeah. Uh, or, yeah. I mean, that's the... Uh, or that uh, if Craig and Carla are in love with each other, but their love is leading them to this higher place that eventually it's not about Craig and it's not about Carla. It's a big diffused sort of love blanket for everything. Yeah, and then you're like the drop in the ocean, right? And then who? Yeah. Are, and then where's your individuality? And yeah, I guess if... if uh, my girlfriend was like, I like you, but it's me leading me to like everybody's bodies and everybody's <laughs> yeah, souls. That's that step especially, right? And then yeah. what is purely beautiful and I must by necessity leave you behind, I'd be like, eh. yeah. Again, you can't really put that in a Valentine's Day card. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying you should, but um, maybe take it the other direction. So to th- uh, we, uh, AJ, you have recently referenced Plato's World of Forms that, that above... Um, we live in a specific historical moment. We live with like specific objects and people around us, but those specific objects and people participate in something bigger than themselves. That Mm. is the uh, the world of forms that this table participates in tableness by being a table that this chair participates being an example of the perfect idea of table. But I'm, I'm flipping that to say that that is what exists, exists. I'm using air quotes, listener in the world of forms, but also this chair is in chairness because there is a form of chair Mm -hmm. is that. And so the one way to take it is what you all are saying is that it's not about individual people we love because it's about beauty itself. But to flip that is to say the person you love participates in beauty Mm. and is not only themselves beautiful, but is an active part of this bigger force than just themselves, which is beauty. Which so when is I love, love the idea of beauty, I bring 
Craig brings Carla into, into the definition of beauty and yes. therefore elevates her. Yeah, that that the thing to put in the in the card is that I know beauty because, because of, of you. you. Oh, that's a nice I card. know love because of you. And I see it in other people, but you are the one I'm committed. Again, this is a book on marriage. You are the one that I am committed to and I want to experience love, beauty, et cetera, through. Ooh, so yeah. you might say they're like, in, in, this, in this instance, Carla would be like Dante's Beatrice. Yes. And that maybe she is not the perfect idea of good, right. but she's certainly the thing that elevates Dante, right? This is a great point because last year, the one serious part and the only part that got a kind email, so thank you, was us talking about Beatrice. And in that we talked about it would probably be a bummer to actually marry Beatrice because she wouldn't be perfect. She, you, there is nothing he could be but disappointed yes. because he had conceived of her as perfect. But this is then to take it the other way to say that um, individual people are just by nature going to be a lower. Ex- I'm going to say this and maybe change my phrasing a lower example of a higher ideal. So um, an individual instantiation is not uh, messing up, does not ruin the ideal of beauty, love, um, pick your adjective. It's just a portion of it. Yes. And so, but I think it resets expectations in that regard to say, I'm not expecting all beauty, all love to be expressed perfectly through you always. Now the Hallmark card's getting bad again. I don't talk about this stuff, but <laughs> do the earlier stuff and not this stuff. So, but this is, maybe this is maybe Graham to your point earlier of like resetting expectations that uh-huh. it's not about finding a perfect person with whom you gel 100% when you meet them. It's that they point you to some higher ideal, mm-hmm. but they themselves cannot live up to that example. So mm-hmm. you should not expect of them perfect mm-hmm. beauty, love again. Okay. Love. So, so maybe to put this into a Hallmark card, yeah. you would say, when I look at you, I see a mountain. And as the mountain, you contribute to the overall mountain range skyline and the range itself will lead me to the sky. What girl doesn't want to be compared to a mountain? <laughs> mountain range? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah, you seriously. guys don't like looking at mountains? <laughs> <laughs> not, Screw you guys. You're a, I'm a mountain here. range? I don't know. Yeah, seriously. You are and a mountain right now, of a woman. You guys have ceased to fulfill my needs. <laughs> I am out. I'm taking yes, the yes, equipment. Good. Give yes, me the microphones. Yeah. I'm gone. Thankfully, I just bought my own audio interface. So thanks, AJ. <laughs> I can do my own thing. Uh, oh, you stuff. guys can go cheek to cheek then. I, <laughs> I I'm taking grand. That's what y'all did for uh, the first 10 episodes. So and it was terrible. Oh, wow. You're not okay. Good. But I think that's the point to get to. It's funny. You're that my you, mountain, AJ. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. That doesn't feel very good. <laughs> no, it doesn't. No. You are mountain. You got to continue. Like you got to say you're, right. you're yes. part of the beautiful mountain range yeah. and lead me to the sky and the yeah. cosmos. So I think that's the takeaway then is to say that the conception that Plato is putting forward here is that individual examples of people we love point us to something deeper and um i guess in a sense pure is maybe the way to say that but there are participants there are participants in that hmm. and so i think i think that's a thing to affirm also to say when you see um um a, a wife participating in wifeliness uh um or female listener uh, husbands participating participating in husbandliness to acknowledge that and say there's something bigger that you're pointing to and trying to honor and do well you are not perfect in it, but that perfection still exists out there. Hmm. Um, and that's my, t- that, that was my takeaway in reading this. I didn't get the bummer reading that, um, hmm. y'all mm-hmm. were talking about. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that flips it around. It does. And okay. I, yeah, mm-hmm. as we, as we finish this, your conception, this, this discussion we've been having reminds me of a poem. Okay. And I think this poem would be perfect mm-hmm. for 
the holiday that's upcoming. Yeah, you can read it to your significant other. So you you guys are both familiar with the age-old poetical technique of comparing the beloved mm-hmm. to various things. Yes, and sure. to quote Billy Collins, the writer of this particular poem, you compare them to various things and by flattering him or her make headway. Right. Right. Exactly. So flatter the beloved, call them the skyline, call them a mountain or whatever, and they are flattered and then you uh, sort of woo them. So he, Billy Collins found this this poem that's just sort of a wheel spinning exercise and I'm, I'm still quoting billy collins here in this sort of thing and so he rewrote it for this poet to make it better and not so terrible okay um so this is called litany and he quotes the original poet uh jacques Criquillin, um you are the bread and the knife the crystal goblet and the wine so this is billy collins's litany okay you are the bread and the knife the crystal goblet and the wine You are the dew on the morning grass and the burning wheel of the sun. You are the white apron of the baker and the marsh birds suddenly in flight. However, you are not the wind in the orchard, the plums on the counter, or the house of cards. And you are certainly not the pine-scented air. There is no way that you are the pine-scented air. (laughs) It is possible that you are the fish under the bridge, maybe even the pigeon on the general's head, but you're not even close to being the field of cornflowers at dusk. And a quick look in the mirror will show that you are neither the boots in the corner nor the boat asleep in its boathouse. It might interest you to know, speaking of the plentiful imagery of the world, that I am the sound of rain on the roof. I also happen to be the shooting star, the evening paper blowing down an alley, and the basket of chestnuts on the kitchen table. I am also the moon in the trees, and the blind woman's teacup. But don't worry. I'm not the bread and the knife. You are still the bread (laughs) and the knife, (laughs) not to mention the crystal goblet and somehow the wine. (laughs) Good. I guess. I love Billy Collins. Yeah. He's great. Oh man. You, if you have never seen him read his own poems, I go and watch him read that. It's fantastic. His delivery is just so dry and Mm -hmm. fantastic. Mm -hmm. I like it. Cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, this has been classical stuff, the love edition. <laughs> um, thanks for listening. Classical love, you classical should know. Classical love, you uh-huh. should know. Uh-huh. Um, if you have any comments or questions, please email us at classicalstuff at veritasacademy.net. If you want to tweet at us, tweet at us at classicalstuff at C-L-S-S-C-A-L stuff. If you want to listen to back episodes, you can find that at classicalstuff.net. And um, if you are wanting to send any little Valentines, oh, send them our way. That'd be great. Um, yeah. yeah. If, if you want to write a Valentine's about Girl Mountains or if you want to <laughs> cut an egg with some hair, yep. we'd love to see both of those. That's things. right. Yep. Crushed it. Um, but this is Graham, Thomas, and AJ signing off. Bye. Lovingly. Bye.